Um, so you've, uh, John, you've written a review of uh, Tweetbot 3, which came out uh, yesterday? Yeah, it came out. Yes, it did. It came out yesterday. It was one of those reviews. You know, thanks to propagation on the App Store, we'll find out that an app is coming out on a day, and we write a review, and then we spend at least half the day refreshing the App Store to see when it's actually available and we can publish our story because it's not, you know, it's not that helpful to, to publish a review before people can actually go get the app that you're talking about. So uh, that's what I did yesterday. I finished up the draft and hung out from about, I think it was about 9 a.m. I thought it was the earliest it might show up, but it ended up showing up closer to noon my time and published our review of Tweetbot 3 for the Mac, which is a nice update. I It's been... The design has kind of been redone from the ground up. There are lots of little tweaks everywhere. It's impossible to kind of catalog every single one of them. There's just, it's just completely, it's both completely familiar and completely different. I mean, when you look at two screenshots side by side of the old version, which was at 2.5.4 and 3.0, they look almost identical, but they are different. I mean, they're things like, Retreat, retweet information has been moved to the top of a tweet. There is a row of buttons under every single tweet for doing things like reply and retweet and all that sort of thing. And as I understand it, that is a Twitter requirement. It is unfortunate. Huh. Be, yeah, it's. A, I think it's an API requirement now. It's unfortunate because what it does is it means a, it. I think it looks more cluttered, and it also means lower information density so you get fewer tweets for the same kind of vertical you know per centimeter in a window but um that's a change they moved the compose button they moved a bunch of different things around they reordered the icons and they added a dark mode and there's also more flexibility in how you order columns and navigate around the different sections in tweetbot and overall, I like it a lot, but I'm not entirely sure that this is worth this, that this these changes were worth releasing as a separate app, a separate, yeah, paid, separate paid app. It's 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 one of those very hard conversations because I really like and respect Tapbots. I use their app every single day, and I have for years, and I also. Uh, you know, part of what I do is help promote good indie developer apps. But when I saw this update, my gut told me that it, for most people who aren't the kind of people who are really invested in supporting indie development, that this might not be worth the $10. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with you. I mean, the, the thing you said about it feeling familiar, I think part of that is not a lot has actually changed you know no, 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 i don't mean that from a from a development standpoint you know because y- you and i both know that ios development web development whatever like even if it might look the same if they've rewritten it like that is a hell of a lot of work they've done exactly um and you know as you say me and you have bought it because supporting developers it's a new version whatever it doesn't really bother us too much but i think you're right i think there might be they might struggle certainly at the beginning to get people to upgrade because there isn't 
you know, there isn't a huge amount of new user-facing features. It's more of a, you know, it's more or less a, a UI refresh, um, certainly from, from a user's perspective. Right, and that's the thing, is that I, I, I really understand when someone tells me something's been written from the ground up, I get what that means because I know what it would take in order to basically rewrite TweetBot from the, from the bottom up. But the, but the reality is that someone who's using it doesn't particularly care about that or understand what that means. And from, from their standpoint, it, you know, one kind of superficial take on the app is that they rearranged some icons and gave it a dark mode and now they want $10. And I don't think that's a fair assessment of it because it is more than that. On the other hand, uh, you know, you kind of have to deal with one, the realities of the app store where it's very hard to pry money out of anybody's hands for anything other than gems. And two, the way people make buying decisions, which, you know, I, I've heard already since I wrote the review, I've heard the, well, you know, this is just a couple of cups of coffee type of argument, but uh, you know, that, that analogy doesn't really hold water for me. That's it's, it's not how people for better or worse. It's just not how people value software. And if you're a developer, you have to, you have to get that. Now, as I said, I don't really have any complaints about the update. I like it, and I bought it myself, but it is, you know, it's, it, it's a hard one, I think, to ask for new money for. And now, today, just before you and I started recording this, we find out that Twitter has put a new date on the sunsetting of the APIs for streaming certain things, which is going to be mid-August. I didn't see this. <laughs> All um, right. Well, let me tell you about this. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. So originally, Twitter was going to sunset some legacy APIs on June 19th. And these are APIs that allow things like real-time streaming of your Twitter stream and notifications, you know, almost near instantaneous notifications of things like likes, mentions, uh, direct messages, that sort of thing. That is going away mid-August now. And I dare. Yeah, it's going away mid-August. And pricing has been announced for the new APIs. And the new APIs are tiered based on the number of users that are attached to a service like TweetBot. And at the 250 user level, it costs $2,900 a month. Which is for two hundred and fifty users. Two hundred and fifty. So that's roughly that's just under twelve dollars per month per user. Okay. Wow. So you can you can see where I'm going with this probably. This yeah. is not this is not good for third party Twitter clients. Now there is a tier above that which is call us and and we'll talk, uh, which is the category that Twitterific, Tweetbot, and other third party apps would be in. But given that the tier right below that is at $2,900 a month, it's hard to imagine that that price is going to be somewhere that's reasonable for indie developers. Now, it's you're going to see a lot of doom and gloom on Twitter about this, that this is the end of third-party Twitter apps. I'm not sure it is. I mean, the reality is there are certain things that are going to go away, but there are most of it just means it's going to be delayed. So instead of getting your DMs almost instantaneous, it's going to take one or two minutes. And instead of being able to stream your timeline, you'll have to refresh your timeline. 
So it's, from my standpoint, I don't think it's the end of third-party apps, but it's definitely not a good thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what this is doing, and you know, obviously, this is what Twitter wants. They 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 don't want people using third-party clients, but rather than just cutting them off, which I think is kind of difficult. If you have an API, it's kind of hard to just cut off all third-party clients because people use it for other stuff. But essentially, what it's doing is putting the advantage back in Twitter's official apps. Um, you know, you if if you're going to want instant push notifications, you say for direct messages especially, which is, you know, a messaging section of Twitter, you're going to have to use the official app for that. Right. And, and so I'm going to read what Paul Haddad, who is from Tapbot, said yesterday to uh, TechCrunch. He said, on the Mac, the worst case scenario is that we won't be able to show no- notifications for likes and retweets at all. Okay. The at all is mine. Notifications for tweets, mentions, quotes, DMs, and follows will be delayed one to two minutes. And then it goes on to say that he also said that um, that tweets wouldn't stream, tweets won't stream as they get posted. Instead, there'll be one to two minute delays for those as well. So that's where, you know, as I said, you have to refresh it manually and it might be a slight delay. Uh, you know... I don't know. I personally, in my use of Twitter, I found myself cutting off things like notifications more and more often as as I use the service. So I don't really particularly care. Uh, DMs, I kind of wish I had instant notifications of those because DMs I use to some degree almost as text messaging. But you know, there are lots of alternatives. Whether it's whether it's actual text messaging, iMessages, Telegram, WhatsApp, whatever it is, there's lots of way to, ways to get in touch with people almost instantly. So uh, I'm not too upset about the changes, but we'll have to see where this goes because it's, it, I mean, if anything, I think long-term, this is a bad sign, yet another bad sign and a string of bad signs that goes way back, like the last five years of Twitter slowly choking off their third-party APIs. Oh, yeah. You know that that someday uh, it may come to a point where it's just not the service that any of us want to use anymore. Yeah, I mean, like you, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about it. It's annoying because I like using Twitter, but do you know what? I don't pay for it. Not not with money. Um, if it if it gets worse, so be it. If it gets too bad, people will move somewhere else. Um, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, it's obviously not going to be app.net, but you know, people will find other places or a new service will come along. You know, Maybe it won't be quite the same because there won't be as many people there or we'll just all get over it and just use the official app. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, uh, we'll have to see how it all plays out. I'm not... I think it's just it's dangerous to kind of say everything's okay but it's equally dangerous to say it's all doom and gloom because it's somewhere in the middle and i think it's unfortunate i don't i don't really agree with twitter's stance on this but it is what it is and this is what happens when you have you know apps built on somebody else's service they can do what they want and as users we'll just have to adapt one way or the other yeah absolutely no yeah i'm not i'm not overly bothered it'll be annoying 
but I'll live with it. Um, I'm so so. I've I've been the bearer of a lot of good news so far. What what else do you want to talk about, Rob? I mean, we I'm sure surely there's something more interesting we can talk about. Well, I want to talk about the fact that you were on another podcast that is know, not I, your regular podcast. You <laughs> snuck onto uh, Connected. I was I was cheating on you a little bit bit there, Rob. Yeah, I I was on Connected, which was which was super fun. I mean, it was, um, you know, I you and I are both friends with all these guys and it was, it was very last minute. I uh, didn't have a, a ton of time to prepare, but it was, it was kind of fun to be unconnected. What do you want yeah, to know I think, about like, Well, I don't know. I mean, I listened to it. I thought it was good. You, you did well. You're a good replacement for Federico for, for the week. Um, I, I think connected though is, is a good show. I mean, obviously they don't have guests all the time, um, you know, but every now and again, it's kind of fine for them to have a guest because of the kind of show that it is you know it can it's a little bit of everything um you know what did you talk about you did the, 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 there was a mention of the gun uh emoji and you know you did a little, a little bit about earnings and and stuff like that like it was um yeah it, it was good i just thought we thought we should mention it yeah yeah i mean to give you an idea of just behind the scenes how that all comes together especially so we we did it live because i was in in austin with with steven and mike and Stephen and I were sharing a hotel room for the five or six days we were there. And it was one of those suites hotels that had, you know, a bedroom and then like a little living area. And just off the little kitchenette area was a, what was a little bit like a, could be used either as a kitchen table or a de- or as a desk. And we used it as a podcast studio. And Stephen had all of his equipment with three microphones on stands with all the XLR cables going into a Zoom H6 uh, interface that then went into his MacBook Pro. I had my MacBook Pro and Mike had his iPad, iPad Pro, and so it was a little crowded around this tiny table to do it. Uh, I didn't have a lot of advance notice that those guys wanted me to be on the show, and um, I was happy to help out. It was, uh, it's a very slow Apple News season right now, and I was a little concerned that we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. But fortunately, we did have the earnings to talk about which uh, had just come out, the, I think it was the day before we recorded, and I had had time to f- look at the, uh, the press releases and things on that. And then we also talked a little bit about marzipan because that was, there was um, a story that Gruber had linked to that, that, or I think John Gruber had said that he had heard that it was kind of a declarative type of programming language that they were working on so that you, instead of having to program all the details of things like UI interface things, you could just declare them sort of like HTML. And I was part of my job was to explain that, which as I'm not doing a pretty very good job here, uh, it, it was a little hard because it's one of those things where it, it could, it could mean a whole lot of different things. Um, yeah I, I think what what Gruber was reporting you know I, I kind of get what he's getting at and I think you know your comparison to to HTML um, is about right but as you say we're not really working off a lot of details to actually know what's what's going to happen I mean we're only a few right. weeks away now um, you know I'm sure if it is coming we're going to find out but uh, yeah I, you know I think you I think you did a pretty reasonable job of explaining it as best as anybody could um, <laughs> well, given given the small amount of information that was available 
Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, it, it it's it was a lot of fun to just kind of chat with those guys. It was a little hard to have a conversation with, for instance, Mike, who was sitting to my side, and I couldn't really look at him because I was trying to talk into a microphone, and Stephen, who was across. But uh, it it was a lot of fun to do. I've always that that's really that's my favorite podcast more than anything, and and a lot of that has to do with the fact that those guys are all friends of mine. But um, it was fun to kind of chip in and and pretend to be the italian from rome for for a day yeah i mean well talking of uh, things that need explaining over and over again and nobody really knows what's going on uh, have you had, had any gdpr emails john because uh, i my inbox overfloweth with gdpr <laughs> i've had a handful rob i mean uh, that yeah twitter alone has has clogged my email with with gdpr notices for all the various accounts that I've got it's um it's interesting I've been I've actually done a fair amount of investigating about what GDPR means and what it all is about because we want to make sure that we're complying with it at Mac stories and I think it's uh, uh, at the end of the day despite all the email that everyone's been getting it's a good thing for users uh, because it really puts the the power of privacy in the hands of the user as opposed to the companies who are you know saying they'll protect it which is a good thing i think it also is a good thing because it's caused everybody from small websites to giant corporations to reevaluate the information that they're collecting and how they're using it and whether that's going to get them in trouble with the eu uh it's it's um interesting to me that it's I, i'm glad that it I'm actually glad that it exists. I think it's going to push other countries around the world forward in terms of privacy, including the U.S., who is behind the eight ball on this compared to the EU, uh, which I think is a good thing. But it also is a bit of a pain in the butt to deal with because, you know, you just have to, just to give you an example, I mean, Mac Stories, we don't collect a whole lot of personal data from anybody. I mean, most people just visit the website. We don't even have cookies on the website. But uh, but we do have, for instance, Club Mac Stories, and for that we use Memberful and Mailchimp, and people's emails flow through that. And when they sign up and pay on Memberful, we get their at least Memberful gets their credit card information. So there there were issues to work through to make sure those companies are doing what they need to do in order to comply with the EU's requirements, as well as making sure that. Any analytics that we use for the site and other things also comply and are not a problem. And, I, you know, I think we're in pretty good shape, but it, it was a good exercise to kind of go through, I think, and, and reevaluate the different aspects of what Mac Stories does and how it, how it works and how it, um, you know, how it interoperates and, and relates to its users and customers to figure out, are we doing right by those people? And the good news is I think we, we are, and we have been for a long time. Uh, and, and it's one of those things, too, that it's like if you're one of those sites that has a whole bunch of different ad networks on your site and with tracking pixels and all that stuff, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. It's a lot of work, and, and it's not easy to address GDPR from that standpoint. But if you're respectful of your users and readers and you have been for a long time, it's not that hard to comply with. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, the Mac Stories is, as you say, you're, you 
you've always really been kind of complying with this anyway because you're not you know you're not harvesting data that kind of thing um you know and, and even from from my point of view at, at my job you know i was saying to you before recording like you know we've, we've got a couple of different products and, and things like that and you know we, we've always been pretty good with you know only collecting the data we need and stuff like that so really what gdpr has done is kind of um encouraged us to make the tools a lot easier for you know deleting data and, and managing data um which you know even if it's just that kind of thing that appears on services like that is good for users you know if it's easier for them to delete their data um you know th- it really can't be a bad thing but as you say some of these sites with loads of different tracking networks are really going to have a problem i think yeah i mean that's where and to, from my standpoint when i went around and looked at everything and how we were dealing with things the hardest part is dealing with the actual website only because you know if 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 you sign up for club max stories you're saying hey i want to give you my email and my credit card information so that i can receive something from you which is you know max stories weekly and all the other things that club members get that's really kind of an easy case the hard thing is when you have a website where people just visit, you know, you, you're not going to throw up a window every time. I'm sure some site is going to do this, which I think is awful, but throws up a window every time you visit says, do you consent to us harvesting your data? <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're doing that sort of thing, uh, that's a lot harder case to deal with. Fortunately, because we, we do sponsorships, which are really just a post and maybe a banner at the top of, of the website, there is no, you know, tracking pixel. There is no harvest information or anything going on there. At most, there are, you know, um, parameters on URLs that allow p- the sponsors to kind of count the number of visits that they get through that URL. That's the most that we we ever do, and that's that that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah, that sounds as you say. You know, you guys are pretty respectful about what you're doing with and try and keep it minimal you know i know federico said this in the past maybe on a podcast you know he doesn't want to have to track people if he doesn't have to um you know he doesn't want ads everywhere and stuff that is would have been a problem for gdpr if if the site was doing that so yeah and and look that works for us because we're small it's it's a lot harder and i i do have some sympathy for big websites that rely on ad networks and things because it's just you know at that scale, it's much harder to do what you probably couldn't do what we do, but, but we're lucky. We're, you know, a relatively small team and what we do works for us. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Um, the, you posted a, a link in our sort of little shared show notes. Um, the Amazon cashless, no, not cashless. What is it? The, the, it, the one where you could just wander around and pick stuff up. Yes. The cashierless. Uh, ah, cashierless. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think it was maybe a year ago or so that Amazon first debuted one of these stores out in maybe Seattle, where you could just kind of wander in, take stuff off the shelf, and walk away, and 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 they charged you. And uh, we're was supposedly we're going to get one of those in Chicago. Now, I'm not downtown Chicago very often anymore. Maybe once a month, but I don't know. I just thought I'd mention it because it seems like. It must be successful enough that they're willing to try it out in other cities, and I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I'd like to try it. I, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on it and hopefully, you know, give it a try some point and uh, report back. 
yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to, well, one, just try it out, but really I'd, I'd love to be able to do my food shopping, you know, groceries and stuff like that in a, in a store like this. Um, <laughs> Any Anytime you can reduce human interaction, it's a good thing, right? That, that's the dream. <laughs> or at least that's, at least that's what Google was thinking when they, uh, they introduced duplex. Oh, no, can we not? No. Oh, God, I've forgotten about duplex. Yeah, well, you know, I have not. I've been thinking about it a lot. But, yeah, no, I, I think this is the okay version of reducing human interaction. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody's we, – we can't go into duplex. So no, I think I everything that's I won't, been I said needs to be said. I won't drag you down that, that uh, rabbit hole. See all the podcasts that came out in the last 10 days. Yeah. Yeah, nobody else is doing GDPR though. So yeah, there we're, we go. Uh, oh, we got the, we're ahead we of the game on that. We have cornered the market on GDPR. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to point out, and this is you know, we can't let a show go by without talking about gaming just a little bit, and that is that Twelve South has come out with something called the oh well, I have to Airfly. There we go. The the Airfly. It's it's a really pretty simple device. It's a three and a half millimeter jack on one end with a Bluetooth dongle attached so that, I mean, the way they're marketing it, they're saying it's for like in-flight entertainment systems on airplanes because uh-huh. usually those, you know, have a headphone jack. But I immediately thought this would work pretty well for the Switch potentially, depending on lag, of course. But but the idea is you plug this into the headphone jack and then you use your AirPods and you connect to the AirFly and you've effectively created a wireless Bluetooth connection where one wouldn't otherwise be possible. And I, you know, unfortunately, the Switch does not have Bluetooth, which I think is a huge oversight. But with this, you could, you know, listen to your game while you're playing it. And, and you might even be able to do like one of those splitter things, the three and a half millimeter splitter things, and do like a local multi- multiplayer with two airflies where two people are listening and playing Mario Kart or something at the same time, which would be pretty cool. I just don't know how bad the delay might be on the audio because this is just regular old Bluetooth, not kind of the special Apple layer on top of Bluetooth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think even if it, even if we weren't talking about AirPods, if we were just talking about, you know, any other, like, you know, I've got some Jaybirds in the house. Right. Um, you know, Bluetooth like that, like, unless the systems are kind of designed to match up the lag, like, you know, obviously on the PS4, you can plug headphones into the controller. Um, and obviously that is using, I think it uses Bluetooth. Um, but of course, they're accounting for that kind of lag. I, th- I feel like in this situation, you're probably the lag probably isn't going to be great um it's probably okay for the the market they're kind of advertising for which is on a plane um annoyingly i can't buy these in the uk yet Um, so even if i wanted to know this always happens with it is 12 south isn't it that make these yes yeah 12 south products take like a year maybe a year and a half to show up on on amazon uk Oh wow, I didn't know that. Um I, I don't know, you know, I don't know whether that's their end or manufacturing or they just don't bother with the UK. Um so, you know, even if I wanted one of these, it's gonna be a while before I'm gonna buy them. Yeah, I mean it's a forty dollar dongle, yet another dongle to add to your dongle town collection. And I think for a lot of games on the Switch it might be okay. I mean, just kind of casual games. Yeah, you know, I can see where 
if there are games that really depended on sound where it could be annoying or, or difficult, but I'd like to try it. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely. I'd be interested to see if this is the kind, if this is a solution to that, um, because I'd quite happily keep one of these, you know, just in my Switch case. Because right now I've just, I think I've just chucked a couple of pairs of um, earpods that I've had lying around the the old ones, not the ones with lightning, obviously. Um, I've just chucked those in my Switch case, and then whenever I'm traveling, I'll just use those. Yeah. Um, you know, but it it would be nice to maybe just chuck one of these in there, and I could then just continue to use my AirPods instead. Did you see that Nintendo's doing a a um, a charging stand? That's like a it's kind of like a kickstand for the Switch, which arguably solves kind of the kickstand issue because it's it puts it at a nice angle and you're charging at the same time. Yeah, I did see that. Um, I haven't really had a need to. I mean, I haven't even used the massive portable battery that I bought yet. Um, so I probably won't pick this up, but yeah, it's it's nice to see Nintendo actually um, building a few more of these products. Yeah, I mean, I think want. that that would that that's a good travel thing to have. Unfortunately, at least on the uh, U.S. Amazon store, it's not showing up until mid July, so it's going to be a little while before that. Um, I did get a chance to play local multiplayer of Mario Kart and super Bomberman while i was in austin and i basically embarrassed myself because i don't play enough video games regularly enough to be any good at anything yeah Bomberman specifically is is very hard if you're not if you don't know what you're doing i basically had played Bomberman, i think for a total of 15 minutes before i played with a group and that's not good yeah definitely not it looked like a lot of fun though i think i saw a photo of it somewhere yeah yeah um, it was a good time but uh but i you know I, I was there to kind of weigh down the bottom half of the bell curve yeah oh well at least you had fun that's the important thing exactly um uh, i think that's that's probably it for this this episode um i guess next episode maybe we'll uh jump into some wwdc and e3 stuff yeah, we that's, should. That's, they're, they're both coming up. I think E3 is the week after WWDC, so um, we can jump into a few of the rumors. And, and knowing us, it will probably be more games uh, because who knows what's going on at WWDC this year. Exactly. Cool. Well, uh, show notes will be at ruminatepodcast.com slash... No, I still don't know what number we're at. Uh, yeah, who 60... knows? It's around 60-something, right? There we go. I'm typing it now. Uh, 64 slash 64. There we go. Uh, Cool. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. All right. Talk to you later, Rob.